Thank you, Don. Thank you for that, Don. That's beautiful. All right, we have the uh, Christmas uh, presentation night by the choir, so I'm going to do things a little different here. Got a pulpit up there. I thought I'd just uh, sit down today. So that's kind of nice. I did this a few years ago. I don't know if you remember that or not, but uh, uh, I thought I'd preach this way today. I don't normally do this. But this is uh, kind of a message today that's a calming message. I don't feel like I'm going to get excited today like I did last week, but I am going to share with you what I believe God's given me today. I've entitled the message, The Three Wise Women. I know you know about the three wise men, but do you know about the three wise women at Christmas? That their lives uh, have just spoken to my heart. They began to speak to my heart last year when I was studying them. And I gave a little bit of a message on a candlelight carol night. Uh, by the way, we're going to celebrate that next week. But um, it got me to studying their lives more carefully and closely. And I thought that would be a great idea. So I thought it was original to me, the three wise women. Then I looked it up on the Internet, and there's 20 different people that have that title in their sermon. There's nothing new under the sun. And actually, I will do a disclaimer here. I got some of these ideas from a, an old Scottish theologian. Alex McLaren, and uh, he had these ideas around that theme, and I said, that is beautiful, so I'm going to just say that up front, and then another one, of course, is Donald Barnhouse, and, uh, and then the other theologians, and my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law uh, started to work on her master's in biblical studies, and she just got a uh, passion and a desire to study God's Word and to know it and to help their ministry. She's a pastor's wife down in uh, the Charlotte area. And um, anyway, she wrote this paper on these three women. And I read the paper a year ago, and I thought, oh, that's really good stuff there. She's really learning how to interpret and learning how to see concepts and applications and truths in the scriptures. And so some of that I'm, I'm going to take from her. And so I want to just say that right up front because it's good stuff. And I wanted to use that today. So take your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. I think I'm, I, I can't read all the stories I would like to read here today because there really is a lot of Scripture reading that goes with this message today. But I thought I would at least read um, Luke 1, verse 26, down through verse 38. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me now, and we're going to read God's Word together. I'm going to begin to read in verse 26. Just follow along as I read aloud. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast brought, found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thine womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. Now, I don't know what you're doing to get yourself into the holiday mood. Yesterday, we went with the grandkids over to Cracker Barrel, and my son-in-law wanted to pay for the meal. I said, that's great. You go ahead and pay for the meal. And then I went ahead and told all the kids, I'll buy up a gift in Cracker Barrel up to $10 for each of you. That was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I paid more for the gifts than he did for the meal. And then last night, I don't know if you ever had the chance to go over to the Moravian, the old Salem uh, Moravian candle tea. Uh, we went over there last night to, to uh, walk through that. We've been through that a couple times, but it's beautiful. It just sets a wonderful mood, and they had the, uh, uh, the Salvation Army band there playing, and then they had just a lot of festivities going on. It was very crowded yesterday, but the candle tea is well worth going to see over and over again. It just kind of sets a mood and tone, so we had our grandkids with us there for that, and that was a wonderful time, too. I want to talk to you about the three wise women. One of my favorite stories on wisdom, I've shared this on a Wednesday night, but I love the story, was about a father who sent his son off to college to study mining and metallurgy. His father was a miner of gold mines, and so he was taking on that tradition, and he wanted to put it into his son. So he had some gold mines out in Nevada, well, he sent his son off to college. His, co- his son came back from college, got the diploma. He showed his dad, here's the diploma, dad. I'm ready to work in your mines. Dad, I want to work in one of your gold mines. I want to run it, dad. And he said, his dad said, son, you may have that diploma, but there's some things you really need to learn before you go running a gold mine. No, dad, I'm ready. Give me your best gold mine, and I'll manage it. He said, no, son. I'm going to have you put on your old clothes, and I'm going to have you go down and work in this silver mine with some of the miners. I'm going to have you work from the bottom up. Oh, Dad, I don't want to do that. I want to I start to be running this mine. No, son, go on and get your old clothes on. So his son reluctantly went down into the mine and worked down with the miners, got all dirty every day. He did this for several months, almost six months, and he came to his dad. He kept pestering him. Dad, I want to run a gold mine. He said, well, son, you're doing pretty good. He said, well, I'm ready to run a gold mine. So his dad said, okay, I'm going to put you over a gold mine. And he let him do it. So he's running the gold mine. He's doing a pretty good job. And one day, the lake near the mine builds up in its reservoir. And the levee that prevented the water from getting into the mine started to seep in through the levee into the mine. Well, they didn't have telephones to reach one another uh, in that secluded area in Nevada, so they would wire messages back and forth to the different mines. And so the boy wired his dad and said, Dad, I need your help. The levee is beginning to seep water into the mine. You've got to help. No response from the wire. Three hours later, the son was worried, and he wrote back, or he wired back to his dad. He said, Dad, it's critical. It's critical. 
I've tried to fix the levee. I've tried to reinforce it to keep the water from seeping in, but the lake levels are too high and they're leaking into the mind. And it's getting worse, Dad. It's critical. I need help. No response. Three hours later, the boy wrote him again and he said, Dad, it is crucial. If you don't tell me what to do, you're going to lose your whole gold mine. It's going to flood out and it'll be gone. No response. Three hours later, his dad responded through a wire. He said, son, why don't you shove your diploma in that hole? See, there's some things you can learn in school, isn't there? And there's some things you can't. You need wisdom. Now, a lot of people think wisdom is just common sense. But really, it's far more than that. The word wisdom in the Bible is a supernatural gift of God. And the only way you'll get it is through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, through his word. You can get a lot of wisdom out there, but you can't get God's wisdom. It only comes through Jesus Christ because Colossians 2 verse 3 says, In him are all the treasures of wisdom supernatural wisdom and so as i think about this passage today i think about these three women elizabeth mary and anna anna lost the love of her life she married a man and after seven years into the marriage he died and she had to deal with the loss mary faced a major change in her life she's pregnant and she's single how do you explain that? And Elizabeth. Elizabeth faced major disappointment in her life. She was old, and she was unable to bear a child. And up till now, she was childless her entire life. That was a huge, big disappointment to her. So here you have three things. You have disappointment, you have change, and you have loss. But each of these women overcame each of these because they were wise. They were wise. Elizabeth had to overcome resentment and bitterness. It's easy to get bitter when you don't get what you really like or want. Mary had to overcome her fears. What will people think of me? And Anna had to overcome her grief. She'd been a widow a long time. But they took those things that they could have let ruin them, and they made wise decisions. Now, how do you know if you're going to make a wise decision or not? Well, it's pretty simple. The way you look at people's wisdom or not is by the decisions they make. And so the decisions determine if they're wise or not. If you make wise choices, you'll make wise decisions. If you make foolish choices, you'll make foolish decisions. And so it's really easy to evaluate that by the decisions that people make in their life. And that's how you know if someone's decision is wise or not. So I wanted to look at these three here this morning. The first one, I've talked somewhat about her in times past, but I just want to uh, emphasize a few things about Elizabeth. Elizabeth, the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, notice some things about her life. It says there was in the days, I'm looking in verse Five of Luke 1, there was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, 
and her name was Elizabeth. Now notice their character. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So here is this couple, and they please God with their life. They said, we're going to please God. They have a clear conscience. That's one of the things. They weren't blaming God. They had a clear conscience. They were obedient. So they were mature, they were strong, and they were godly people. By the way, as your pastor, that's what I want to be in your life. Mature, strong, and godly. And so she has these character traits about her, but she carries a lifelong heartache. She has no children her whole life, and that would be a shame in that culture. It's far different than our culture. A lot of people don't have children today on purpose, but in their culture, the more children you have, the more blessed you are. And the Bible says she was barren. Now, some of you here, you have no children, and you can identify with this heartache. You wanted to be a mom. You wanted to be a dad, but it didn't happen for you. So Elizabeth followed God, but her greatest prayer had not been answered. That strikes me. She had every temptation to be bitter and resent God. God, I did what you want me to do. I've tried to live right. I've tried to do what's right. I've honored you. I've worshiped you. I've prayed. I did all those things. And you haven't answered my biggest prayer request. I want a baby. I want a baby. Now, it'd be a great temptation to be resentful and bitter over that. Can you think of something in your life that you prayed a lot about and it didn't happen? It's easy to get bitter. It's easy. It's easy to get resentful. And you've got a choice to make. You've got to make a choice. Am I going to be wise like Elizabeth? Am I going to trust God through this, or am I going to get bitter? And so Elizabeth, in her wisdom, didn't get mad at God. Alex McLaren has this life principle. I like this. You may want to write it down. It's good. The life principle is this. Living for God doesn't guarantee a hurt-free life. Living for God doesn't guarantee a hurt-free life. God never said it's going to happen the way you want. God never said that. Donald Barnhouse goes a little further in this. I like his, his work on this. He says, he says this about the hurt-free life. He says, this is not heaven. Don't expect heaven to be on earth. Don't expect heaven to be on earth. Heaven has no sadness, no sorrow, no problems, no pain, no pressure, no tears, no grief, no loss. There is none of that in heaven. None of that in heaven, he says. But on earth, everything is broken. Everything is broken. To expect heaven on earth sets you up for disappointment. To expect heaven on earth sets you up for disappointment. Because nothing works perfect on this planet. Nothing. Not the weather. Not relationships. Not the economy. None of those things work perfect. 
Even our bodies. Our bodies don't work perfect. We can feel them shutting down on us as we age and get older. Why? Because everything is broken. Everything is broken. That's what God wants you to know. Living for Christ doesn't guarantee a pain-free life. As a matter of fact, Jesus said the opposite, didn't he? He told us this. Sometimes we don't want to hear it, but he told us that in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. Well, wait a minute. In this world, you will have trouble. You not, it doesn't say you may have trouble. You might have trouble. You will have trouble. You will have trouble in this world. Don't be surprised when things don't go right because it's not heaven. It's not heaven. So back to Elizabeth. She wanted a child all her life. And God gives her a miraculous birth when she's well past the age of childbearing. The Bible says about the child she's going to have, it's John the Baptist. And she, he says to her through the angel, actually speaks to Zacharias, her husband, and says in one, chapter 1, verse 15, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Look at this, verse 16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. I love that. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How would you like to have a kid like that? Your child is going to be like Elijah. He's going to preach in the spirit and power of Elijah. You're going to have a miraculous birth, Elizabeth. You can't even bear children, but I'm going to do a miracle like I did with your ancestors to prove to you that it wasn't of you, it's of me. You're well past your barren years. And that child, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He's going to restore families. He's going to bring them back together again. He's going to bring harmony in the home. And he's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. He's going to get the disobedient to think right and do right again. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and this will all prepare the way for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, because he's the forerunner. He's the announcer of Jesus. And so you're going to get him ready for Jesus. It's a beautiful thing right there. So there's two marks of wisdom I saw in her life, and I wanted to just share them with you. First of all, the first mark of wisdom in Elizabeth's life was her persistent prayer. Her persist, persistent prayer. I love that. In verse 13, it says, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. I love that. God heard their prayers. They never stopped praying. Now, I don't know when she was barren. I'm sure she stopped praying for a child when she was barren, but they never stopped praying even when she was past the age of childbearing. I don't know if she prayed for a child at that point, but she wasn't able to conceive, and when she was past being able to conceive, she kept praying. She kept praying. I want to tell you something. That's the mark of wisdom. The mark of wisdom is to keep praying in all her pain, in all her disappointment, in all of her dashed hopes. She got older and older and older, and she kept praying. 
She kept praying. I think somewhere in here, Elizabeth began to understand the timing of God is better than our own time. The timing of God is better than our own time. She understood what it meant to wait on God's timing. She had her timetable, but God had his, and she said, I'm going with God's. So she, she had persistent prayers. I love that about a wise person. Number two, she was patient. I mean, she had to wait all the way to the end of her life. That's a, that's a huge mark of wisdom. This is why Elizabeth is a wise woman. She kept praising God. She just kept praising God. And then she even said about God, God, you've taken away my reproach. She was known as the woman of reproach in the town. And you removed my reproach, and she praised God. It's a beautiful thing. But now, now when the angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby, and that baby's going to be great. It's not just going to be great. It's going to be the greatest baby that ever lived. It's going to be the greatest man that ever lived, Jesus said. The greatest human being that ever lived or will ever live, John the Baptist. See, God had always intended to give her a baby, but he delayed. Because God's plan was bigger. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Now, if Elizabeth had had that baby 30 years before that, which is when she would have been her childbearing years. If she'd had the baby back then, he could have never been the forerunner of Christ because Christ wasn't born till later. If she had had it 20 years ago, he could have been the forerunner of Christ because Jesus Christ was born later. So the truth of the matter is, he had to be born when he was born just a few months before the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come. But now she gets it. She gets why this all happened to her. All the time she thought God wasn't hearing her prayers. <laughs> but he was. A delay in your life is not a denial. The difference between a foolish and a wise person is you know the difference between no and not yet. No and not yet. A child doesn't understand no and not yet. They just understand no. And when they're told they can't have something not yet, what do they do? They cry. It was at Cracker Barrel yesterday, and Allison didn't come along. She just had Matt go with the kids. She was going to spend some time organizing at home. And so she did tell Matt that Leah cannot have her pancakes before she eats her eggs and her hash browns because she won't eat any of her eggs and her hash browns, and she's a little three-year-old, four-year-old. And so she saw the pancakes in front of her, and on another plate were the eggs and the hash browns, and uh, 
Papa doesn't know the difference between no and not yet either. He was like, I'm okay with it. <laughs> I was ready to give it to her. But Matt said, no, I got to go home and face your daughter. <laughs> and he said, I'm, she is not going to do that. And so he said, you cannot eat those pancakes. And right there in the restaurant over everybody, she starts crying out and had a meltdown and was so upset. Because kids don't get that, do they? No and not yet. So she finally finished her eggs and her hash browns, and she and I ate down those pancakes as fast as we could. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Do you really have the wisdom to know no and not yet? That's, that's a sign of wisdom. You're, you're patient. You're persistent in your prayer, but you understand that. You understand that in life. All her life, she wanted and prayed for something, and it did not happen. Maybe you're waiting for something. Maybe you're wanting something. And maybe you're praying for it and it hasn't happened. You know what it tells me about God? If that's in your life right now, I want to tell you something. Be patient and trust God, okay? Be patient and trust God. Because I got a feeling something, he has something bigger in your life for you. You're only going to get that by faith and you're only going to get that by the wisdom of God's word. Now, you can either be bitter and resentful, or you can say, I'm taking that by faith. That God could do that in my life. He could have something better for me in denying me something that I wanted now. So, be wise this Christmas. She chose to trust God's plan instead of being bitter. I just wonder, what are you attempting to be bitter about this year? What are you tempted to be bitter about? I know, because sometimes I get bitter over things. And the truth is, I think I know more than God does. That's why I get bitter. A wise person trusts God and his timing, even when it doesn't make sense. They just say, I'm going to do it. That's Elizabeth's life. That's good things to learn about that. Let's go on. I've got to move on here. Okay, number two, the second woman is Mary. Look at this verse in verse 28. This is good. The angel came in and said under hail, hail. That's, a, that's not just a term of hello. That's a term of respect. Thou art highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, you found favor with God. Now, you know how you find favor with God? She's 15 years old. How does a 15-year-old girl? Find favor with God. Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 66, 2, write this down and read this and meditate upon it. It says this, these are the ones that I favor. That's where you're getting this verse from. These are the ones that I favor. The one who is humble. The one who is of a contrite spirit. And the one who trembles at my word. That's a beautiful verse.
He doesn't just pick people to put his favor on. He looks for people to favor. And he looks for a contrite heart. He looks for humbleness. And he looks for somebody who trembles at his word. That's why Mary found favor, even at 15 years of age. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing to think about. The angel appears. She hears the news that she's pregnant. She's terrified. I guess I'd be terrified too if I saw an angel. I don't know what I would do. What's even scarier is not just seeing an angel, but what the angel said. The angel said, you're going to be pregnant. You've never known a man, and the daddy of the baby is God. (laughs) Think about the extent of that. You're going to be pregnant. You've never known a man, and the daddy of the baby is God. Right, right, okay, right. I'm having a dream here. I'm having a dream. Now, now just think about this for her life, okay? She knows it's from God. And, uh, and as you think about that, think of all the fears that would start running through your head. That's why he said fear not, but think of all the fears. Think of all the fears when the angel left. Now i got to tell people this. i got to tell them. I'm 15 years of age. Who's going to believe a 15-year-old girl? I wrote down a few things that she probably was afraid of, the fear of criticism. How do I tell my mom? Mom, I'm engaged to Joseph. I'm pregnant, and Joseph's not the daddy. Okay, honey, maybe I need to sit down while you tell me a little more about this. Yeah, mom, maybe you do need to sit down. Because the daddy is God. Honey, we can get you some help. We can get you some help. Would your mom believe that? (laughs) Would your mom believe that if you told her that? What about your sisters? Would your sisters believe you? Would your brothers? Would Joseph? He didn't believe it. He wanted to put her away privately, divorce her, get a quiet divorce. That's what his goal was. How about the whole community? How are you going to tell the whole community, I'm pregnant and I haven't had sex with Joseph? Right, you haven't had sex with Joseph, come on. That's probably why she left town for three months. Because Elizabeth was in her sixth month when Mary left to go to her. So she probably got right out of town as soon as she got the news and the news started traveling in town. So the fear of criticism, the fear of inadequacy. Man, I'm 15. I'm 15 years of age. I'm a young girl. I'm a peasant girl. I'm in a small village. I'm supposed to get married. I'm not supposed to have a baby first. You get married first. I have no education. I'm not royalty. Nobody's going to believe me. How about the fear of change? What is every engaged girl thinking about all the time? about her wedding day. Talk to them. They're always thinking about their wedding day. They're planning their wedding day. And here a huge change comes into her life. Your biggest day is not going to be your wedding day. Your biggest day is going to be the day you deliver God. 
How do you how do you deal with that? The fear of change. There's a massive major change in her life, and it's fearful. But here's the thing, she's wise. Why is she wise? Two marks I saw with her. Number one, Mary believed the promise of the angel. She believed the word of God. She took the angel at his word, and it is recorded in the word of God. Nothing is impossible with God. She believed it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's a great thought to think about. She says to herself this, God loves me. God is with me. God chose me. And he said, nothing is impossible. Okay, I can handle this. That's how you do it. That's how you do it in your life. Say the same things. I can handle this. Not because of my ability, but because God is with me. God chose me. God has a purpose for me, and this is what God has done in my life, you know what? I can handle this. God put this on me. God put this on me. He wouldn't give me more than I could do. I can do it. And that's all based on the fact that the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. I love that. That's a great way to work yourself through any situation you've got that you have major fears over. She said in verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant. I accept this plan. That's a certain tense in Greek. It's the mood of desire. Be it unto me. I desire this if it's from the Lord. I'll take every shame that comes from it. I'll take every reproach. I'll take whatever you bring. I can handle this. I can handle this. I'm the Lord's servant, and I take it. Mary wisely surrendered to the word of God. Have you wisely surrendered to the word of God in your life? Have you wisely surrendered to the word of God? I can't think of anything better to tell you. Wise people say, whatever God wants for my life, I'm in. I'm in. Unwise people say, I don't want God's plan. I don't want God's purpose. I don't want this pain. I don't want this fear. I don't want this disappointment. So I don't want God's plan. But wise people say, I may not understand, but whatever God wants that's what I want. That's wise. That's wise. That's the mark of wisdom. Second mark of wisdom in Mary's life, Mary knew the word of God. She knew the word of God. I don't have time for this. I'm looking at the clock right now, and I can tell I won't, I'll run out of time here. But if you take the time this afternoon and read Mary's song, it's a song. It's called the Mary Magnificat is what we say in Latin. But it's really Mary's song. And if you take the time to read that, she had memorized so many scriptures. And when she, sung a, she sang a song spontaneously, she started quoting scriptures. There's at least 10 that my sister-in-law found. 
at least 10 in there of scripture references that she threw into this song she wrote. So on the spot, she could write a song and quote Isaiah and quote Jeremiah and quote the Old Testament prophets. Could you do that? On the spot, could you write a song and throw in 10 verses into your song? That's exactly what Mary does. That's the second reason Mary is wise. She knew the Word of God. She knew the Word of God. And I think that's a beautiful thing to know. I love that verse in Luke 2.19. It's a great verse for women. Mary kept all these things in her heart and she pondered them. There's some things you just don't say to people. Some things you just don't share. You ponder them. What does that mean? She often thought about them. She thought about the scriptures. She ran it over in her mind over and over again, the Word of God, over and over again, the Word of God. Because Mary believed God's Word instead of her fears. See, that's your battle. It's everybody's battle in here. What God said and what your fears are saying. And you've got to choose who's going to win that. Are your fears going to win or what God said? That's your battle. To believe what God said is wise. To believe your fears is foolish. Maybe I should say it's stronger. It's dumb. It's dumb to believe your fears. Okay, let's move on. We're going to go to the wise woman, the third one. The third wise woman is Anna. This is in chapter 2. I might as well read this one. This is a short one. I couldn't read all those other verses. But in chapter 2 of Luke... When they took the baby to the temple to be dedicated, the Bible says in verse 36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Not much said on Anna, but just enough for me to get a thought here to give the third wise woman uh, some emphasis. Anna lost the love of her life. She got married probably around 16, 15, 16 years of age. And after seven years, he died. She never married again. And now she's 84 years of age, the Bible says. So let's think that through. If you see her getting married at 16, she's 84, all right? So she's been married 60, or I should say she's 68 years married and a widow. 68 years, so I subtracted 16. Then if I subtract the seven till he died, that's 61 years. She lived 61 years as a widow. Has anybody in here lived 61 years or more as a widow, just out of curiosity? Okay. 61 years as a widow. Without her husband. Never had a family. Never had a family. Almost worse than Elizabeth. Now look how she lived. Look at verse 37. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, 84, which departed not from the temple, 
In other words, she got a job at the temple. She was a prophetess. And served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Okay, let's just think about that. I mean, I don't know what woman would do this, but this woman ended up getting a little lean-to in the temple where prophetesses would stay. So on the one side, prophetesses in the, woman, in the court of the women, they could live there and serve God. And that's what she did. She got a job at the temple. She became a prophet, prophetess, and she prayed and fasted. 61 years as a widow, what would you do with a blocked love? What would you do if your love was blocked? 61 years. What do you do when it's blocked, when who you love is not there anymore? Let me tell you what she did. She redirected her love. She took the love she had for her husband. And she turned it toward the Lord. She probably could have got remarried. But she didn't. She just took the love she had for her husband and she redirected her love to the Lord. <laughs> Which I love. I love to think about. Now, if you're younger here, I'm not telling you not to get married again if you do lose a loved one. But there are some thoughts for you. If you're younger and you can't have a baby and you wanted one, there's some things you could do. You could adopt. You could foster. I'm telling you, there's a lot of kids out there that need someone to love them. You say, what if you're older and you lose your husband? She's 61 years without him. She said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my love I had for my husband and I'm going to direct it toward the Lord. I'm going to redirect that love. What am I going to do? I'm going to worship God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love people who come to the temple. <laughs> That's beautiful. The first mark of wisdom was she redirected her love. The Bible says in verse 38, just don't want you to miss this, I'm closing it out here. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. What does that mean, coming in that instant? What that meant is Simeon was blessing the child and Simeon was told he would not see death until he saw the child come to be dedicated at the temple. So he takes the baby up and he lifts the baby in the air and out loud he begins to bless Give a eulogy over the baby. And while he's giving a eulogy over the baby in that instant, she comes and walks by and she's passing by and she sees Simeon dedicating this child that would be the savior and redeemer of all people. And so what does she do? She stops. She goes over to where the baby is and over to where Simeon is. And then she takes the baby and starts giving thanks to God. She starts giving her own eulogy to God. Thank you for giving this Redeemer as a prophetess. She takes up that baby, and uh, just from experiencing that, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see here. And so uh, she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm, first of all, I'm going to thank God for giving me a Redeemer and giving my people a Redeemer. But then on, the Bible says, what does it say about her life? Uh, she spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in, G in Jerusalem or in, um, yeah, in Jerusalem. I love that. Anybody who'd want to talk about the redemption of Jesus, she said, I'm going to talk to you about the Jesus of the, rede the Redeemer Jesus. Everybody who came in, she wanted to talk on him. 
Anna was blessed because she chose to focus on God's presence and talk to everyone about Jesus. That's what she did. That's wise. That's wise. He that when the souls is wise, she said, I'm going to talk to people about Jesus. I hope you'll talk to somebody about Jesus this this Christmas season. Do you know more people will come to Christmas than uh, church at Christmas more than any other time? Now, they may not come on Christmas morning. I'm hoping you will. But even if they don't come Christmas morning, you got next Sunday. Why don't you, why don't you invite somebody out? Talk to them about Jesus and say, hey, I'd like to invite you to church. It's a beautiful thing to do because that's what she did with her life. She just focused on God's presence and talked to people about Jesus, even with her pain, her loss, and her grief. Now, all three of these women had heartaches. One was barren, one was single and pregnant, and one spent her life as a widow without a family. They could have had resentment, they could have had fears, and they could have had ongoing grief. But they all made wise choices. Will you trust God instead of being bitter? Will you trust God's word instead of your own fears? And will you focus on God's presence and not your loss. That's wise. Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe if you listen to me today to share the word of God to you, some of you here maybe need to receive Jesus Christ right now. You need to receive him as your Lord and Savior. I just want you to pray this prayer if that's you right now. Jesus Christ, I open my heart to you. I'm a sinner. I accept your Christmas gift, your son, Jesus Christ, who died as my Savior. I invite him into my life. Fill me with your presence, with your love your peace with your purpose. I want to get to know you. I want to love you. I want to trust you. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to let me know. Let me know you prayed that prayer. I want to pray for you and I want to help you in your walk with the Lord. If you're here and you already know Jesus, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed and you're willing to pray this prayer, I want you to pray it. God, I want to be wise. I choose to trust your plan. And instead of being bitter, just because things aren't going my way, God, I choose to believe your words. I'll trust your timing, not my fears. And God, I choose to focus on your presence. Not what I lost. Not my grief. And I want to talk to people about Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, you're wise. And only the Spirit of God can do that so I pray for each of you now God I pray at this Christmas season 
your blessing would be over each of these here today. I recognize your your presence. I recognize your worth. And I recognize your word. Give them a supernatural gift of wisdom from your word. I lift them up to you. Bless them. May your hand be over them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Scott's going to lead us in this invitation song. Let's sing together.